Please be seated. I know some of you, I, I've been watching as I have, some have been looking and saying, wow, we're not going to get out of here. But hadn't the singing been great this morning and just wonderful. Um, I will do my best to try to honor our time. This is actually normally the time on the clock when I try to finish the sermon. And so I will do my best to get through and try to make the point that I wanted to make this morning. This morning is an important uh, Sunday for me. Uh, It was one year ago today that I was able to come back and be with you, and that is very special to me. Uh, I love this church, and I love this fellowship, and uh, you will never know just how important you have been. It sure seems like I've been back more than a year, though, doesn't it? I've worn you out at least that much. And so I am so glad uh, to be here. Uh, Last year, when we were going through this journey, uh, Julie and I and those who were absolutely closest to me uh, knew that we did not and they did not expect for us to come back, uh, expect for me to come back. Uh, We all knew that. But God, but God. Isn't that a great phrase? But God. God had a different plan. And he's not through yet. And he's not through with this congregation We have a message that we need to share. I want to invite those of you that know technology and that use technology a lot, you can go ahead and get your phone out. If you want to know how to invite somebody to come to worship without walls, take a picture of that screen and just text it to your friends, text it to somebody, uh, invite them to come and be with you. Or maybe you're not as familiar with technology. We have little postcards next to the contribution boxes. You can just pick up one of those postcards, give them an invitation, invite your friends to come and be with us uh, next Sunday morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about the greatest victory that has ever been won and how you can have that victory for yourself. That's really been our theme this month, is that idea of victory. Victory. Jesus Christ came to purchase our victory. And when we talk about the gospel, if somebody says, I want you to share with me the message of the gospel, what matters? What is it when you talk about the gospel, what's that irreducible minimum? What matters? And I'm going to tell you, folks, it's not the name on the door. It's not the name that is over the door of the building you walk in to worship. It's the name that's on the door of your heart. That's the thing that matters. That's the thing that matters. When Paul gives the irreducible minimum of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, here's what he says. And when you get to the very heart of it, Paul says this, by this gospel, you're saved. What gospel, Paul? Here it is what he says, that Christ died and that he was raised. That's the gospel. You see, the irreducible minimum always comes down to Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection, and the return. That's always the message. Not those little things that that we argue and bicker about. Do you have to come on Sunday night? Do you have to come on Wednesday night? Is it King James only? Is it? Those things don't matter. What matters is Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection, and the return. You see, the cross and the resurrection are the very heart of the gospel, and they are the reason for our victory. They're the reason that we have hope. It was on the cross that sin was defeated, and it is in the empty tomb 
that we have victory and that we have hope. And that hope is, is a driving force in our life. John Maxwell talks about a small town in Maine that was the proposed site of a great hydraulic plant, a dam, would be built across the river and this little town would be submerged. When the project was announced, the people were given many months, several months, about a year to arrange their affairs and to relocate. During those months, a couple of curious things happened. All improvements on property ceased. Day by day, the whole town got shabbier and shabbier. A long time before the water was to come, the town looked uncared for and abandoned, even though people had not yet moved away. One citizen explained, where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. That town was cursed with hopelessness because it had no future. Spiritually speaking, if there is no heaven, if there is no resurrection from the dead, if there is no Bible, no church, no Christ, and no God, how would you view life? Would you still look forward to the future? Where there is no hope, there is no future. And there is no power in the present. You see, the cross... The cross and the resurrection are the heart of the gospel, and they are the reason for the victory that we carry, and they are the reason for the hope that we have, because Christ did raise from the dead, and because He did pay our price for sin, we have hope, and we have the assurance of our salvation in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, Paul gives a, a longer explanation of the gospel and of what Christ did. And the heart of that passage is found, it says, All of us also lived gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. You see, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Not by works. Here's the truth. The love of God is hard for us to grasp, isn't it? It's hard for us to understand. Because even in our world today, we don't see that kind of love expressed. Uh, we know the passages. You've seen them at football games. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The passage that's probably hardest for my heart to understand is Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated His love for us in this, while we were still sinners, while we were still the one spitting on Jesus on the cross, while we were still His enemy, Christ died for us to demonstrate His love for us. We don't experience that love. In fact, most of the time we experience conditional love. Have you ever experienced conditional love? 
I promise you as a child you did. I love you, son, but I'd love you better if you'd go clean up your room. Conditional love. Have you ever experienced conditional love? It's the kind of love that, that our world has all the time. Why do you love this person? Because I love the way they make me feel. I, I love being with them. They make me look good. I love the way they make me feel. You see, the cross is hard for us to accept because we are so accustomed to experiencing conditional love. I love you, but I'd love you more if. We'd like to earn that love. We'd like to deserve that love. But here's the hard truth, and here's some things that I want you to leave with. God cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. His love that he has for us is unconditional. God loved you when you were far from him, and he loves you when you are close to him. God cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. And he loves you not because you're so good. He loves you because he is God. And you are his creation, created in his image. You don't deserve his love. And you can't earn his love. But you can accept his love. And you can accept the blessings that come from that relationship. From the very beginning, God has had a plan to redeem mankind. And we need redemption. You see, as Paul wrote in that passage in Ephesians that I read to you, we are by nature objects of wrath. We by nature will sin. And there's this chasm that, that separates us from God, this, this chasm of sin that separates us. And because of our sin, we deserve death. But God gives life. But this chasm of sin separates us from God because God is holy and we are not. Paul says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And later in Romans 6.23, he says the wages of sin is death. And if that's all that was said, there's no hope for us. But Romans 6 goes on and completes the statement and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ died for us on the cross to pay our price for sin. The eternal law says where there is sin, there is death. And Jesus pays our side. Now, some are going, Tom, I'm not a sinner. I, I haven't sinned. James describes sin, defines sin this way, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. Have any of you known good to do and you didn't do it? Sin. I, I may have sinned once or not, but I'm not a sinner. Let me ask you this question. If you were to kill somebody in cold blood, we would call you a murderer, right? How many people do you have to kill before you are a murderer? How many sins do you have to commit before you are a sinner? And you are separated from God. Separated from eternal life. Destined to live with Satan and his demons in hell for all eternity. But God demonstrated his love in this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. 
And he gives you the invitation because Jesus Christ died for us. He says, I'll pay your price if you'll let me. I'll pay your price. I'll pay your price. But you have to accept it. The first time the invitation was given, they asked, how do I accept it? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. And he goes on to say, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, we enter into that covenant relationship. And it's not just through baptism. It's through faith. It's through, it's through confession. It's through believing. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you can go swimming all day long and there's no change. It's a response of faith. Not an act of righteousness that earns you something. It's the acceptance of a gift that he has already purchased. You see, Jesus Christ came for the purpose of redeeming mankind. Colossians 1 says that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And if we accept him, what David writes in the psalm is true of us, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see... The center of God's plan of salvation, it's not me, and it's not you. The center of God's plan of salvation is the cross, and it is Jesus Christ. And because of the cross, because of Christ, I have victory. I have forgiveness, I have hope, and I have a home that is waiting for me at the end of this life. Because I have that kind of victory, how should you live? If you live understanding that my sins have been forgiven and you accept that what God says is true and what Christ has done is enough, how will you live? In Ephesians 5, later in the book, it says, live as children of life. Live as children of light. Live victoriously. Live as someone who's been forgiven. Quit beating yourself up and trust that what he's done is enough. Trust in his forgiveness and what you're going to find. It is easy to praise God for the unimaginable gift that he has given. Maybe this morning I went through that a little too quickly for you. And you'd like to talk a little more with one of the elders, one of the ministerial staff. And you'd like to find out more about what we believe God's plan for redeeming mankind looks like and what it looks like in us. If you'd like to respond to our invitation this morning, we invite you to come as we all stand and as we sing. He